0: Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, and I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am
1: C.B. Sobolski, your editor-in-chief.
0: And this is one of our Marvels. 80th anniversary special this week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club episodes where we dive into a specific decade, some books in that decade. This month, we are talking about the 90s. Woo-hoo. And uh, specifically about some Spider-Man books in the 90s because uh, we've done Fantastic Four in the 60s, we did the X-Men in the 80s, we did Avengers in the 70s, Spidey in the 90s, and particularly Spidey in the 90s because there's a lot. So much. At one point, There's four ongoing series for Spider-Man, at one point being like half the decade. Uh, And so I think it might be Web of Spider-Man ends in 95. So they just go for most of the decade. So we're going to pick from one of each of those ongoing series. That's Amazing Spider-Man, Adjectiveless Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Web of Spider-Man, as well as the final part of Maximum Carnage in Spider-Man Unlimited because it makes a lot of sense. We have uh, Absolute Carnage coming this year. It just fits. It was great
1: reading through these too because these are some of you know the issues that were so big there that affected Marvel continuity in such big ways, and the effects that we still feel today. Some of the most noted artists today, where some are still working on Spider-Man, were drawing back then. Here's where they got their debut, and going yeah. back and looking at them, just such a blast from the past, and such a kind of Reminds you of the, how cyclical comics can be, yeah. you
0: know? All right. You're always, uh, you always seem to enjoy when I bring out some facts and do some digging. I, I love it. I've yep. got some fun stuff for this All one right. in particular that we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but you mentioned the artist. That is always one of the, the things that we like to focus on when we do these is, is some of the artists because that's really shows like the, the changes and things. So this one is fun because we get a little McFarlane, a little Larson, some Bagley, some Limb, some Buscema, and, and, and more. So it's it's pretty cool. But before we get into more Spider-Man stuff, CB, what do you think of when bringing up Marvel in the 90s? Marvel in the 90s
1: for me was a, a time of change, really. You know, I think it's where the editorial process became a little bit different. It's where we went from some of the quote-unquote Marvel style, the Stan style, into a more of a, a script style. It's where the books became a little more editorially and corporately driven. hmm From the storytelling standpoint, and it's also where we continued that tradition of being experimental with our artists and trying out new guys, younger guys who might not have had as much experience and who were given the training from some of the people who were at the bullpen. And, you know, speaking of the bullpen, sadly, the 90s was also where we kind of saw the end of the modern bullpen where it was, where in the days, even in the in the late 80s, where guys like, you know, uh, Simonson and Art Adams and, and and Claremont and Byrne were here regularly as part of the, the, the bullpen, it was a really artistic community. We did not see that. This is where we went more into the freelance community, people more working from studios and working from home and sending in their artwork. So there wasn't as much hands-on guidance as there was in the past.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Changing a guard. I, I think of a lot of stories yep. I hear from folks who lived through the 90s, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, you know? we still
1: have a lot of those people around. Yeah,
0: and, and just, like, the, those wild days. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad a lot of them got through it and some didn't. But, yeah, 90s to me is very much Spider-Man and the X-Men. Uh, like okay, that yeah. That is, like, yeah. Sure.
1: Uh, and, and it's funny, you remember, talk about the, the, the stories. And one of those things a lot of those stories do bring up is, you know, the rise of, of Marvel, how there were these a lot of craziness to what was going on back then. You know, Spider-Man, which we're going to talk about today, but also the X-Men, which I tend to forget from that era, was oh, yeah. w- w- was just a monster. Those books <laughs> yeah. were coming out at that point. Yeah.
0: Seriously. I was looking at various months of the decade, and it was like six or seven Spider-Man, something sp- like Spider-Man colon this, that, the other thing. Not just the ongoings. It was like they were just pumping them out. Yep. It's It's real wild. Yeah, when I
1: went out to Marvel Unlimited to look for some of these issues, when you just type in Spider-Man, the (laughs) amount of titles that come up, I'm like, wow.
0: (laughs) Previously on our Reading Club, we talked about a whole bunch of Uncanny X-Men comics from the 80s, um, hitting on that great work of Chris Claremont and and a ton of amazing artists. Um, so, you know, if, if you haven't listened to our previous ones, they're all in the feed, they're all available. Uh, we're going to be doing this for every decade. Um, we are recording this one a little early. The note, uh, just went out on social and up on the app. So, uh, I did grab two questions slash comments from social media, but if we don't get a chance to get to them, maybe we'll try and pull them in for next, next month, but that's using hashtag Twim, U-R-C, T-W-I-M-U-R-C, and so always appreciate you guys reading along and checking things out and joining with us on these journeys. So again, picking these books, the artist was the like the key for me, and I my initial list had a bunch of books that I didn't realize were in the 80s. You know, McFarlane's run on Amazing is all in the 80s. There's not a single book in the 90s. I guess Larson does a lot of 90s work for Spider-Man, but I didn't realize, I I, I associate Spider-Man in the 90s with Todd McFarlane a lot, and, and Eric Larson and Mark Bagley, but Todd, you know, he launches adjective lists at the beginning of the decade, and he's only gone there for a year and change, yeah. and he's gone. It's wild. We will have a companion piece to this for Marvel's The Pull List. Tucker and I are going to discuss a bunch of things. I imagine we'll touch on maybe Age of Apocalypse, 2099. Sure, there's a bunch more to go into. So much fun stuff. I know. Uh, but that might not come in June. That might come in July. We'll see. Uh, I'm doing a lot of traveling. CB, you know what I'm talking yep. about. All that traveling. All right. So I did some digging, did a little bit of looking, and some planning to try to fu- come up with something fun for us. So I did a little 90s Spider Man artists by the numbers. I looked at the four ongoing books specifically, not the annuals and not any bonus issues or anything like that. It's just the ongoings. And I looked at every artist. I counted every single penciler to see who was doing what. And I tried to figure out who had the most issues, who was working on things. Who do you think has the most issues of the four Spider-Man titles in the 90s?
1: If I had to guess, and I would have guessed differently, but you just gave some stuff away saying that McFarlane and Larson did a lot in the 80s. I would guess Mark Bagley.
0: Interesting, you would be wrong, uh, but we'll get to it. So there are a lot of people who do two issues, one issue, three issues, you know, whatever number, small numbers. I'm going to start with going from the bottom. People who had ten or more. Okay. Mm-hmm. So coming in with 10, 10 issues of Amazing Spider-Man, Joe Bennett. Wow, Joe Bennett, Immortal
1: who, Hulk's Joe Bennett.
0: Yeah, guy who I we were just recording uh, an episode for the poll list this morning about. I think it was 19, which is just a nightmare issue. It is horrifying, and he's so good. 10 issues by Joe Bennett in the 90s. Wow, no idea. Yeah. Uh, then we have Stephen Butler, who did 12 issues of Web of Spider-Man. We actually have his first issue later in this episode. John Byrne had 14 issues when he relaunched Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Todd McFarlane comes in with 15 issues of Adjectiveless Spider-Man. Okay. So I m- more than I would have expected from just that run because none of them were amazing he did have 28 issues of amazing spider-man but that was all in the 80s wow that's a lot that's a a good that's that's a great run yeah uh tom lyle great artist uh had 20 issues one of amazing 19 in adjective lists luke ross still doing great work for us another guy uh he had 25 issues of spectacular spider-man a run of i think I think it might be unbroken of 14, then a break, and then 11, or something like that. Um, Consistency is king. Exactly. Which we're going to get to when we get to our number one. Eric Larson, 27 issues of Spider-Man, 20 of them being amazing, and then seven issues of Spider-Man, okay. the adjective list. And surprisingly, he only had three in the 80s. I thought he and Todd went back and forth more, but it was mm-hmm. mostly just Todd wow. towards the end. Okay. Um, okay, John Ramita Jr., coming in with 46 issues. Wow. Yeah, he had one spectacular, two amazing, 11 issues of Peter Parker Spider-Man and 32 issues of adjectiveless Spider-Man. Wow. Yeah, I didn't real I didn't realize he had that many in the 90s And Of course, you know, in the in the aughts, he comes in and does a, a well, ton of enormous great enormous around that. Yeah. Then coming in at number three most prolific for the 90s, Alex Saviak. Okay. 50 Mm -hmm. issues of Spider-Man in the decade. He had uh, um, a few Amazing Spider-Mans in the 80s. He had 21 issues of Web of Spider-Man in the 80s and continues on doing all 50 of his Spidey issues on Web. Uh, And it's like nine issues, eight issues, 33. He was he was consistent. Wow. Uh, then your pick was Mark Bagley. Oh, so I was close. I was you were close. Two. That was number two. Yeah. 59. I didn't count uh, the one of the stories we're talking about, which is uh, Spider-Man Unlimited, because uh-huh. I just wanted to look at the four cores. Yep. Um, he had one adjective Spider-Man, one Amazing Scarlet Spider, because it switched over for yeah. a short time, and then 57 Amazing Spider-Man. That's a, that's a chunk. And to say he's not number one is wild, but... Drum roll, please. Number one goes to Sal Busema. Really? Yes. 75 issues of Spectacular Spider-Man that actually his run begins in the 80s. He had 28 issues of Spectacular in the 80s. Plus, he had a few Web of Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man in the 80s. But his run was... I believe it was 24 issues in a row, a break, and then 51. It was it's some wild streak of incredible consistency. Wow. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about Sal as I was putting this together and seeing that I was like, we don't talk about him enough when you talk about these prolific Spider-Man artists. And and hopefully we can sort of change that dialogue a little bit um, because the issue we're going to talk about of his is really good.
1: Yeah, you know, I always associate uh, Sal with Spider-Man as a character, but never for that extent of time. For me, he's always a Hulk guy. Yeah. You know, so that's just, you learn
0: something new every day, as they say. Indeed. All right, so let's just jump into things. Uh, we're going to kick things off with Amazing Spider-Man number 333, which came out March 13th, 1990. The creative team on that is David McElaney on uh, writing it, Eric Larson on pencils, Mike McClan on inks, Bob Sharon colors, and Rick Parker letters. First things first, I just – I love this opening spread of Venom creeping outside Spider-Man's window. He just – Eric draws a butt I on know, Venom. There you go. But he's like
1: he's like Peter's looking out the window and it's like, how does he not see Venom? It's that you know well placed curtain that, <laughs> that Venom is hiding behind. Yeah, it's
0: no shadow. No, I mean, it's nothing. Fine. Yeah, it's super creepy, super weird. I remember I th- I thought I had heard at one point that Eric didn't like Venom as a character. And so he drew him as grotesquely as possible. He actually gets more grotesque as he like plays along with the character over time. You know, you get the really exaggerated tongue and the teeth and the eyes and the, the green uh, goo coming out of his mouth. Here, it's a little, almost a little bit more reserved.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the uh, Venom tongue is always a point of contention <laughs> between current Venom writers and current Venom editor Devin Lewis. Because Devin is not a big fan of the tongue. Huh. You know, it's used as little as possible. and. Everyone's like, no, the tongue is one of the elements that makes venom venom. Yeah, I,
0: I would. I'm pro-tongue. Yeah, I'm pro-tongue too. They, so, you're the uh, editor-in-chief. Yeah. Make
1: Devin <laughs> give us more uh, tongue. I, I have. He's like, I think this sketch, cover sketch would be great if we moved the tongue. I was like, no, it looks great with the tongue. Keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: this issue, uh, I also got to point out Mary Jane's hair. Oh, it's so big. Yeah. It's so <laughs> huge. I love it. She's, at this point, she's still on Secret Hospital, mm-hmm. uh, the long-running soap opera in the Marvel Universe. Which is tremendous. It's a lot of fun
1: when you go through these issues as as, as people listen along and they can identify things. Spider-Man kind of t- t- tends to stay the same old, always, as does Venom, as does Harry Osborn. Whoever you put in, Mary Jane changes so much more than any other character at the hands of the artist. That's and of the generation, you know, of, in a couple of years with fashion, with hairstyle, with the way she looks or holds herself. It's really interesting to see.
0: Yeah. I'm a big fan of what Eric does in here with shadows. Like, there's this panel of Spider-Man.
1: My favorite panel of the issue. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a, it's a panel. You've got sticks and stones, but we'll get to them in a second. And it's four vertical panels together with the, the fourth being this full-page one of Spider-Man crawling. But he's in the dark, and the only thing to illuminate him are his eyes, the white eyes— and the red outline, and it's so cool.
1: It's awesome, and, I, and I've seen that pattern. I think I don't know if this is the first place it's been used. It could have been, but I've seen since seen it used on a lot of licensing, too, like T-shirts and blacklight posters and a lot of other places have used that, so they might just be pulling it from what Eric has created here. Yeah,
0: it's great, uh, and his Venom is cool. It's big. He does some weird stuff yeah. with the eyes, but he's... The, te- the teeth. He's got yeah. more teeth. Every different panel. Wild. Uh, but it's a super, super fun. Uh, the, the characters of sticks and stone. I find fascinating. I I did too. And you know,
1: I I, I didn't go back and research them. I don't know if you did. I didn't get a chance to. Much. There's got to be a story here. It's like, did they come up with. Sticks and Stones first, then the one like, let's do sticks like the band or like the river, S-T-Y-X, sticks and stone. What are their powers? Or did they have the characters and they say, oh, we'll name them sticks and stone. You never know what the creation of characters like yeah. that, but there's definitely a story there that yeah. I want to know about.
0: I know. I wonder where they are if they were brought back because it's like this big beefy dude with like tons of weapons and then this like scary guy who basically causes cancer. That's his power. And yep. he gets like a euphoric hit off of hurting people. This feels like a Donny, like he could take it and bring it into a modern time or somebody like yeah, that. And
1: Donnie has said that any character that's ever been in contact with the Venom symbiote is going to appear in Absolute Carnage. This led launches this August. And here Styx has a very important uh-uh. and very yeah. you know crucial interaction with the Venom Symbia and and he lives. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. does that mean that we're gonna have to talk to Donnie and see. Hey, where are sticks and stones, and should they become? We have to do a sticks and stones absolute carnage special.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love that. If, like <laughs> we could get, we could cause like such chaos in your publishing line that we bring this up because we read this story. That would be fantastic. Uh, but it's cool. Venom rules. Like I, the thing I get out of this, especially you know, this is what two and a half years, almost three years after Venom first appears. Yep, mm-hmm. and he's great is just a, like a super fun character. You can see why he became so huge. And this issue too, it had that kind of the
1: classic Spider-Man Peter Parker emotional drama that we know and love and Peter, you know, finding his his balance between everything that's going on in his life and everything that's going on in the Spider-Man's life. And like that just scene where like Eddie Brock as Venom just shows up at Aunt May's house and he's just <laughs> standing there and he's like Peter, who's that? Oh, it's the the electrical meter
0: check guy, you know? Um, and then he's like, real smart. Like, yeah. Very clever. It yeah. oh, was really good. I loved it. Our next book is Spider-Man number seven, which came out December eighteenth in nineteen ninety. It's written and penciled by Todd McFarlane, colors by Gregory Wright, and letters by James Novak. Yep. This one I I'll be honest, it was tough for me to pick one. McFarlane spider-man issue because the first six are the torment storyline which i remember getting the collection like the because we didn't do trades the way we do now no exactly very rare Mm -hmm. um and so i remember buying that original collection i I think i still have it somewhere of torment loving it and then seven and eight is a a two-parter or or is it one through five and then six and seven whatever it was it's like uh, a storyline a two-parter And then a longer storyline, like a a couple different things. There wasn't like one single issue that I could hone in on for McFarlane Spider-Man. So I just grabbed this one.
1: Well, this one was really key, too, just because, you know, one of the things I think that separated Todd's work on Amazing when he was working with a writer versus Todd's work here when he was doing it on his own was kind of the heavy emotional pathos he brought to all the characters. You know, it was about the constant struggle of good and evil right and wrong not just for the heroes but for the people underneath the masks and this is perfect when you think about it because it has peter making decisions it has ghost Rider showing up to kind of try to make the choices for them the conflicted hobgoblin and then he puts adam the kid in the middle of all this as the innocent yeah. uh as as the kind of the the playing piece on the board that these three characters are using to try to uh, you know motivate themselves emotionally and at the end, it comes out and improves a point to all kind of three of the characters in a way. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's it's a much darker book, yeah. too, mm-hmm. in tone, in subject matter, and just, like, it's intense. It's, yeah. it's really gnarly. Yeah, the
1: weight. The weight of these stories yeah. really you can feel on the on the, the shoulders of all the heroes. Yeah.
0: It's really easy to see, though, why Todd was so huge. Like, <laughs> this guy was crushing it. Yep. It's it's such a gorgeous
1: book and even if you go back and compare this to 10 issues previously when he was on amazing versus the first couple issues of torment in this run to where he came along now with these beautiful multi-character stories with th- th- the page layouts there's a pa- pages of vertical panels that are just absolutely gorgeous in this
0: yeah there's a, i'm looking at a p- uh, page now it's a full page splash of you know hobgoblin coming in on his glider and yeah. He just looks so ferocious and he knows how to use negative space so well. Uh, It's it's wild. It's intense stuff Uh, It is big. It's dynamic, weird, cool, very creepy. Uh, What I did find fun was you can very clearly see some hints of other like character design work that he's done. So like. Uh, Hobgoblin in his face, especially with the teeth, yeah. look very much like some characters he drew for uh, for DC a bunch of years earlier. Uh, and then when Hobgoblin is standing up straight, his his cape is very long and very flowy. Yeah. It looks like what he'll do for Spawn after yeah. once he leaves here, and like the spikes and stuff that he does with Ghost Rider, you could see. You could see what he like uses as his tapestry.
1: Yeah, he definitely was ha- had some signatures in his style that he carried over in all the different stuff that he did.
0: Yeah, one of the things that was neat in here, which I don't really remember, it doesn't click to in my head, was the hobgoblin, mm-hmm. uh, because you have this demonic hobgoblin who's also like very like quote unquote religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, they like that character would split apart, so you'd have Jason Macendale who is just, like, a dude with the, the Hobgoblin stuff, and then the Demo Goblin. Yep, uh, oh, the Demo Goblin. Demo Goblin, super fun, super wild, like, just to the it's very 90s, so wonderfully 90s.
1: No, and, and this, too, you know, you speak of the... Todd is often referred to as one of the best artists uh, stylistically because of all the little details he brought from kind of some of the spaghetti webbing to, you know, the different designs he did on Spider-Man costume, like you said, but, to the, the, the kind of chains, the teeth, the flowing capes, but... Also, when you look at the, his use of character size to separate foreground and background and kind of perspective, he would draw certain things really big yeah. to bring a panel across, but also use panels with no backgrounds and make the characters very small to stand out so your eye would be instantly drawn to kind of the character and the lack of you know, detail or space around them. It was just really brilliant how he would carry the eye through the story and his yeah. storytelling mm-hmm. ability was something that sometimes gets, does get overlooked.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, well said. So that's, uh, that's Spider-Man. He does go back and forth with Eric a little bit. Eric has uh, Eric Larson has a beast Spider-Man issue that I loved as a kid, and then there's the rap of Todd's run is actually like a crossover with Rob Liefeld's X-Force that I loved George. as a kid. One of them was was a vertical book. Uh, you know, you flip it yeah. over, and Juggernaut, and in, in Todd's issue, Shatterstar stabs Juggernaut in the eyes. And it freaked me out as a kid. It was wild. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we're going to move on in a second. But the last r- – right after the two of them leave, right after Larson leaves and McFarlane has gone, Rick Leonardi uh-huh. does an issue yep. of uh, Spider-Man where it, Thanos is on the cover. And this, I remember – it's one of my favorite issues as a kid. Spider-Man dies. He, like, dies saving a child. And it, most of the issue is him dealing with Thanos and death and, like – Talking to them And and like Arguing with them And And then finally Like giving up And then death is like Nah you saved a kid You're fine Whatever Go back Wow I don't Totally don't remember that Yeah And so he was bringing Food home for Aunt May And there's this like Red He falls And dies And there's like Red uh, Around him Like uh, blood But it ended up being A barbecue Like a a bottle Of barbecue sauce That exploded when He fell And he was fine It's fine by the end Um (laughs) It's real cool. It's, it's fun. It's that like issue like a lot of fun. I got to go look that one
1: up after. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. Next issue chronologically is Spectacular Spider-Man number 200, which is released March 23rd, 1993, written by J.M. DeMattis, Sal Buscema, Bob Sharon on colors, Joe Rosen on letters.
1: Another this one. Great issue. Wow. Talk about classics.
0: And, and you know, we were talking about Todd's uh, storytelling ability. This is what hammered home Sal to me is like, we need to, we should be talking about Sal more because his storytelling yep. ability is phenomenal. Especially, you know, I, I don't want to jump too uh, ahead too much, but the like last three pages are all silent yep. and emotional. And, know, the first three pages are almost silent too, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. Oh, that first page where yep. Goblin is like coming up closer and clo- It's terrifying. Yeah. It is so good.
1: With this issue though, uh, this is an issue that was done Marvel style. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, J.M. Dematis just wrote up, you know, the the, the plot as he always would, be it a page or two, and gave it to Sal, and Sal drew it, broke it down into the the 24 pages you see here, and it was J.M.'s decision after, because Sal had done such a good job on this, especially in the front, and then I heard, was told the story that in the back three, there was supposed to be a lot of dialogue on those pages, like a lot of exposition explaining, you know, the emotional beats between Spider-Man and, and Mary Jane's relationship and the kind of, you know, the, the the ending of this between this long-running Harry Osborn, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, Green Goblin, Mary Jane, you know, Liz Osborn yeah. storyline, and after seeing the pages, Dematis just decided, nope, Works silently. I'm not going to put anything on there. And the Andrew's like, what? What do you mean? He goes, works fine as it is. And they let it go as is. And it's just so beautiful the yeah. way that it, it stands out.
0: Oh, man. You know, I, I'm going to be honest. I did not really click with Sal's art as a kid. Um, I, I think because I was coming from Amazing Spider-Man, you had Larson, McFarlane, Bagley, like very poppy, very, you know, like their uh, figures are – I don't want to call them softer, but, like, there, there's a lot of, like, rounded shapes. And there's just something about it. Uh, I didn't it just Sal's work on Spider-Man because I remember picking up some Spectacular when I was a kid. didn't really, like, click with me a ton. Uh, but, you know, I, I appreciated, you know, what he was doing. But now I look at this and I'm, like, blown away. Like, why didn't I love this as a kid? I don't know what it was because this is phenomenal work.
1: Yeah. And just the, the, the coloring, again, this is just – beautiful bold poppy colors and every color choice was made just to enhance the kind of overall feel of the page you know you look at these pages as they are now like looking at this first page the blues and the greens and the purple and how it all comes to focus i mean it it all works
0: yeah a lot of blues contrasting with the reds and you have the purples there's this big orange moon across a lot of the issue it's really neat uh the sinisterness of the goblin mask uh the way that sal draws web lines too Mm -hmm. he doesn't go for like the really thick you know spindly detailed it is like a simple line uh sometimes you see spidey holding it it's wrapped around but like there's something to that simplicity that is so elegant yeah and to the simplicity of
1: goblin's body language when he's on the glider too so many people go out of the way to make him seem crouched or posed or evil or demonic where sal just draws the glider kind of as part of his body in a way yeah. you know he just makes it seems so natural especially like there was a scene where like peter parker comes out of a coffee shop and goblin's yeah. just chilling there i was yeah i was gonna say
0: thinking the same thing yeah,
1: he's just, just kind of like like hey man just hanging out you know peter parker how you doing <laughs> <laughs> and it's
0: like the and to JM's credit is like uh, the the dialogue there's like lovely day isn't it yeah. uh, and he's, you know like there there's no law against someone just getting on a suit and strolling around yeah. town
1: you got like a modern cosplayer you don't know <laughs> if that's a goblin <laughs> or a guy cosplaying as a goblin yeah? you know
0: oh man uh so also something that is it this issue where Mary Jane is smoking
1: uh, heavily i'm not sure if if that was this issue or not where she comes home she's like i need i need a puff and peter's like
0: put it out yeah i i don't remember there was one issue it might not be this one it might be web no it's yeah it's this one there is this scene where mary jane she like grabs a cigarette and she's like she's getting all stressed and she's talking and Spidey's like "Ah, ah, ah, put that out put that out and it was i was like man Reading this and then reading some other issues. There's so much smoking in these comics mm-hmm. Forget about that what the smoking was
1: was and now we don't allow smoking in in our comics except occasion for a bad guy Or you know to, to prove a point an anti-smoking point, but this is was, was kind of the start of that because they had decided that uh, They wanted to make a statement against smoking and how better to do it than with one of our own more major characters so they made a point of having Mary Jane start smoking and smoke consistently through this arc. But because we only read this single issue, later in the arc, uh, one of the Daily Bugle reporters, not Ben Eric, but someone that worked Ben Eric, one of these like, you know, hard drinking, hard smoking types, yeah. gets lung cancer and dies. Whoa. And then it's at the funeral that Mary Jane decides to give up smoking because that's how they prove that it's bad. It's like, not just say that smoking is bad, but kill a character and the other characters will learn that I smoking mean, is bad.
0: It's real. Yeah. People die from, mm-hmm. from lung cancer, cancer every day. Yeah, it's so, true.
1: So, yeah. But so while it might be shocking here, and it was for me too because yeah. I didn't realize it, I was talking to Tom Brevoort about it who was here at the time, and he would explained, oh, no, that was a whole concerted effort on the part of the editorial team and the writers to you know make a point about smoking in, in, in an arc.
0: Amazing. Uh, yeah, this was my first time reading this issue. I may have to go back to read more of the uh, Dematis-Bucema run because it's,
1: it's, it's really, really good. He still had the uh, – the spider signal <laughs> in these issues. Yep. And, you know, it's just... It, it's just... Oh, and Green Goblin just decides to blow up his own house. And I'm going to th- blow up the building. The know?
0: sweating. Yeah. Like the, like, the the madness that overcomes him is is tremendous.
1: But like I said, it's, it's a great emotional issue between the human side of the characters and the superhuman side of the two main, you know, stars of the, the issue, Spider-Man and, and Goblin, in this case, Harry Osborn. And the demon of... Norman Osborn and Gwen Stacy that haunts everybody. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah when, he, when he brings Mary Jane to the bridge, and she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, no, 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 we could be friends. And he's all frantic. Tremendous stuff. Yeah. Great, great issue. I'm glad we read this one. All right, up next uh, chronologically is Spider-Man Unlimited number two. This is from June 29th, 1993. So there is a backup story that is not in... Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to make a point we're not covering that one. But the main story is in two parts. Uh, it is all written by Tom DeFalco. Art on the first part is by Mark Bagley and Sam De La Rosa. Uh, and then by Ron Lim and Jim Sanders on the second part. Uh, colors throughout by John Calise. And letters by the young whippersnapper uh, Chris Eliopoulos.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm surprised this is the only book Chris lettered at that time that we, we were covering here. We, yep. uh, but, man, it's like Bagley – Limb, like. no. Venom, Carnage. This is uh. – Carnage had only been around for about a year and a half at this point. No. And you given – and he's he's been given like a huge storyline mm-hmm. and a menace and he's terrifying. Venom here I, – I I prefer Ron Lim's Venom. You know, like if I'm looking at these two stories, I prefer Mark's Carnage and Ron's Venom. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I just – like the way they draw them – those are where my preferences go. But they both draw a tremendous Spider-Man, and they're both great. I mean, it is what it is. But wow,
1: this is such a classic when it came out then too. And this was, you know, the part, the, the conclusion of the Maximum Carnage. Yeah.
0: For what do we do? Fourteen po- parts. It's, yeah. It starts in Spider-Man Unlimited One, goes across all the majors, and then comes back. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so like, there's all the big rumbles that we. Don't see it by looking at this issue because you have tons of cameos. Some of them show up here, like Morbius and uh, Black Cat and stuff. But you know, in the main story, it was like everyone was thrown and, and yeah. got involved and like got injured and, and tons of villains. We don't even get to see like Demogoblin or the um, Doppelganger who such an important part of of this whole story. Uh, Shriek, all that stuff.
1: Uh, But there's so much of this, after reading it after all these years, that I know now is going to come back and be a huge part of everything that we're doing. I love that. In August. It's yeah. like, I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie did his homework yeah. as he always does. If somebody does his homework, yeah. it's yep. going to be Donnie. Yep. And then yeah. I, I could just see going through this, you know, putting myself in his shoes. And like when, when Ryan goes back and looks at this stuff to pull the designs, to Ryan Segmented to, to draw this kind of stuff. It's all here on the page all these years ago.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. it. It's such a brutal thing, too, because it's just Spider-Man, Venom, and Carnage fighting. Like, you know, we lose all those other characters, boil it down to the this core three, and there's so much, it's a, like electric yeah. between them. It's it's nasty and, and vicious.
1: And there's a lot of coincidence of characters just bumping into each other, you
0: know? <laughs> oh, in this huge city, how
1: would we ever think we'd meet? Or how would we find Spider-Man? How would Venom find Carnage? Oh, no, they just happen to all be in the same <laughs> right place at the right time. Yep.
0: Uh, you know, I'm thinking now as we go through each issue of what you said about Mary Jane yep. and how she changes and like Mark draws this scene of Mary Jane in bed. She's like sleeping and then gets waken up by Peter. And it's like the subtle, like weirdly sexiest Mary Jane and like yep. going on here. And, and it's, it's fascinating to watch, you know, how these different characters find different ways to put her and, and, and illustrate her.
1: One of the other things I noticed, this is going to be completely different. I think out of these three issues, I noticed that three of them in the dialogue reference Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) And this is one right here. I'm looking at it. It says... uh, Heaven and I have about as much in common as Vanna White and Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was remember like, that line.
0: I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know? sure. Yeah, and then someone was talking about going on Oprah, Geraldo, yeah. and uh, the uh, Donahue. I yeah,
1: think. exactly. And then like there was, there was a third Oprah reference sure. somewhere in there, too. And I was like, okay,
0: pop culture—it it just seeps into the books. Yeah, m- m-
1: Marvel is the world outside our window. You know, That's right. it's the real world. So. Yeah, uh, but a, a lot of this stuff goes too to, to to talk about a theme in a lot of this too. When it, when, when Venom shows up is that there's a good man that has been twisted by bad circumstances. It's Spider-Man's belief that someone always, no matter how bad they've done or no matter how bad they've wronged him, there's a good piece of that soul that he can save, be it venom in most of this stuff, even carnage in one of the issues. And then, of course, with Harry Osborn, yeah. who he was his best friend, you know, growing up. And yeah. It just speaks so much to that person that Peter Parker is.
0: Yeah. I mean, you got to love it. That's who Peter is. Although reading this, I'm, you know, at the end – Peter steps in to save Carnage Coming. from Venom, who will kill him, will kill Carnage. And you think, man, how many people die because Carnage lives? Yeah. It's brutal. It's a, but, you know, with the great power, there must come great responsibility.
1: Yeah. And the, the other thing I forgot about this issue was they brought back Peter's parents. So,
0: oh, man. So his
1: dad was in here and he's like, Dad. And I was like, oh, my God. I, you know? I,
0: yeah, I almost started going down a rabbit hole of, of those because – that was one of the, uh, the options I threw out to us for Bagley stuff because it was amazing at 365. Uh, it was one of the big anniversary issues. I think it was the 30th anniversary of Spider-Man. And so all the books that month had these wild covers with a hologram on them. And the amazing one had the return of, of Peter's parents. I don't remember what that story was. I don't think they were really his parents.
1: No, they were supposed to be spies. They said they were spies. And so, yeah, they and were in the like Soviet... Soviet Union yeah. for the last 20 years. Yeah, and... I,
0: I don't remember what the full story was. Where's Tom Brevert when we need him? Downstairs <laughs> working. He yeah. yeah, would be yelling at us if we tried to ask him.
1: <laughs> the other thing that this reminded me of was I want to go back and read some Avengers issues from this time. Because you look at who the Avengers team was – there was no Cap, there was no Thor, there was no Iron Man. I mean, there was Thunderstrike and Black Widow and Vision. And Hercules, like, without Hercules without a beard. without a beard. Cersei. Like, I was like, wow, I remember these Avengers years. And you compare to what the Avengers are now and what the, the team has become and given everything that we've done outside of comics and film. And everybody associates the Avengers with certain characters. And you yeah. go back like, these aren't the Avengers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but... Do the current Avengers that are so popular in pop culture have great matching jackets? Yes, that's true. They do not. These guys have great matching jackets. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, Last book for us to talk about is Web of Spider-Man number 117, which came out August 2nd, 1994. This one is written by Terry Cavanaugh with art by Stephen Butler and Randy Emberlin uh, with Kevin Tinsley on colors and Steve Dutrow on letters. And this is... This is, I think, the first issue after um, Alex Saviak's long tenure on the book. We were trying to find one that could like click for that big run to just sort of on- honor that. But the choices that we had in Marvel Unlimited weren't exactly what we wanted. We're still missing some web of Spider-Man. I know particularly, which we'll get to in a little bit, you wanted to talk about number 100, yeah. which mm-hmm. had the spider armor. But I think it's fitting that we talk about 117 because it is the first part of the Clone Saga. Yep. Infamous Clone Saga. The story that never
1: ended, or so it seems. It's like
0: two and a half years, give or take. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was like 94 to 96, almost 97.
1: You know, I worked for uh, for Ralph Macchio, who was one of the – when I started at Marvel, and he was one of the, the editors on this book on uh, the clone saga and I still remember him talking about it and you know I was talking to uh, to Tom Brevoort over lunch earlier too and he was around at that time and you know he told the story about how this all went down too and you know this kind of was the, the definition of, of, of corporate comics at the time and they turned it into something you know made lemonade from, from lemons and it turned into a story that is for many people still admired, often ridiculed in some ways, but it, it had some great stuff that came out of, out of this story that people still look finally back upon.
0: You know? It sells. I see yeah. the, the collections that we keep reprinting yeah. and, and, and putting together and like people want to read these things.
1: Yeah. And I never knew that the birth of this story uh, came because they wanted mainstream media attention. So uh, a couple other big publishers at the time had been getting some mainstream media attention for either killing characters or breaking their backs. <laughs> so Terry Stewart, who was president at the time, came down to Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief and said, I want you to come up with something with one of our biggest characters that's going to get us on national news. It's going to have people lining up around the corner to buy the books. And the idea they came up with was... Mary Jane was going to get pregnant and her and Peter were going to have a kid. But then the question when that kind of stuff happens is what's going to happen to Spider-Man You know, if Peter becomes a father? So they had a big editorial retreat. They called in all the writers and it was Terry Kavanaugh who came up with the idea of let's go back and bring back the clone and that way... Uh, Peter and Mary Jane could have their baby and go off and be happy and live a life of bliss. And this new Spider-Man could put on the costume. And the key key, key selling point was he will have a Wolverine-like origin that will never be told. And we keep (laughs) telling stories about him forever. And that was the original birthing seed of the Clone Saga.
0: I never knew that. Yep. That is wild. You know, I I get it. I fully understand it because – I wasn't a, a fan of the distinguished competition. Media attention, like, got me to check them out and start reading some of their books. I mean, I was still reading our books, but.
1: Wow. And that was supposed to be the story. And we, Ben Riley was supposed to have been our Spider-Man going forward, and they were going to be happily ever after off in the sunset. And if that had happened, where would Spider-Man be now? <laughs> Whew. And that's where the story kept going on because they kept doubting themselves, second guessing themselves, having success, oh, wanted to keep it going. Should we do this? Shouldn't we do this? But we need Peter Parker, Peter Parker's Spider Man. What are we going to do with Ben Riley? And then Scarlet Spider was born. Oh, that did really well. Let's keep this stuff going up. And just kept extending and extending and extending.
0: Did Tom tell you anything about how it, it finally ended? I
1: forget. I didn't have time to talk to him about yeah. that. But wow,
0: yeah, we even published what is it, the one thousand and one ways the Clone Saga could have ended, or yeah, something like with, that, with Tom
1: and Ralph and a couple of other editors on the actual cover. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, yeah, but this is this is the beginning. There's actually an issue Spectacular Spider-Man two sixteen, which comes out just prior to this, that has uh, your first glimpse at a second Peter Parker and and you're not you don't know that he's the clone in that issue that's all revealed here but there's this like sort of stealth soft intro and then boom this is the beginning of it and it is bonkers
1: and they just get right
0: into it too. (laughs) it's like like, I'm your clone what and Peter's
1: very angry here.
0: he is I mean Aunt May is very sick I get it he's dealing with all kinds of stuff but he gets real pissed off Mm -hmm. and it's wild also, they, we introduced, like, the Judas Traveler and his whole group of people.
1: And, and, and you know, uh, Ravencroft. Yep. Which is, again, a big part of Absolute Cardish coming up with John Jameson still there. Mm-hmm. And just the, the, the characters and the, the designs of those characters. Oh, man. <laughs>
0: like, there's one with, like, an Ankh necklace. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's very 1990s. Yep. And, like, the one dude in the full, like, old private detective outfit. I was yeah. like, what's happening here? Yeah, exactly. And the Judas Traveler himself. Is wild. I, I didn't know anything about him because I I really wasn't reading Spider-Man by this point. Um, and he has – he's basically Mysterio just like he has illusion powers, yeah. like psionic illusion powers. He doesn't actually do the things that he seems like he's doing, which I thought, oh, man, that sucks. But, you know, and it's just – they were having fun telling these stories.
1: Sure. You know? And that's the thing. And it, It's just – comics is an entertainment medium it's a big soap opera and even going back and looking at these it's like wow you could just tell that the writers and the artists were just going in there and just enjoying themselves coming up with characters and cool situations and you know there's an emotional weight to this stuff too we Can't. Care. you know you wake up there's a clone of yourself and like I said Aunt May was sick you know the 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 tension that Mary Jane was having knowing what the things that, that Peter was going through and but it's just again it comes down to the fun that they were having.
0: Yeah, if only they had like locked it in, done it, done it in like four months. Four months to, is still a long time. Yep. But to drag it on for two and a half years, and Hemmenhall, man, I think it even spread into Umberto's time on Spider-Man. I Did think? it really? No, no, maybe not. I'm trying to think of like I, I'm trying to picture because the clone like. Disintegrates, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the,
1: the smokestack yeah. or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while I since I looked at those.
1: But again, this issue drawn by Stephen Butler. It's his first uh, appearance on the issue. He did the cover and the interiors. And I think, according to your data, he had a good run, like yeah. 10, 10 or 14 issues. Yeah, like 14 board, issues, they have, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. And you could tell he was newer guy on the series at this time. Came in later in the Spider-Man mythos, but the 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 influence that he took from some of the greats, especially from you know Bagley and Larson, very apparent in in how he not only laid out a page, but how he moved Spider-Man, uh, the the body language of Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of Bagley in there for sure. Um, yeah, like this, you know, yep. this right here. Mm-hmm. It's like, which is great. I mean, if you're gonna, you know, jam on someone who's been on Spider-Man. Damn on yep. the best, Brass on the bags. Um, but that's uh, that's a look at the '90s. I, I realized as we were doing this, we end in like '94. There's a whole six years more of Spider-Man stuff, but. This was, to me, I think I think we hit the right yeah, notes here. exactly. There's tons more to go through. You guys can check out a lot on Marvel Unlimited. And as I mentioned, you wanted to talk a little bit about costumes. So I looked at yeah. the costumes that Spider-Man has in the 90s. Uh, of course, going into the 90s, he has the, the classic costume, the black costume, mm-hmm. which McFarlane brings back right before he leaves. But cyborg spider-man from 1992 story which was one of my favorite stories as a kid it's eric larson drawing it Mm -hmm. revenge of the sinister six it is wild like doc ock has adamantium arms and he knocks out the hulk and spider-man has this cool cyborg spider-man outfit which even got brought into the video game marvel spider-man exclusively on playstation 4 then there's the spider armor from Web of Spider-Man uh, see, number one hundred. I
1: love the spider armor. I think we just recently reprinted that too as like you know, one of our our, our you know reprinted dollar
0: editions, and that's so so amazing what they <laughs> did. Uh, yeah, it, it's a pretty cool looking costume. Uh, then of course in the Clone Saga you had the Scarlet Spider outfit, yep. which iconic now. I we I think Loot Crate even did like a, a Scarlet Spider hoodie, uh, hoodie, yep. mm-hmm. which is really cool. Uh, And then Ben also had the sensational Spider-Man costume, uh, which looked really cool. I was looking at something that, you know, so at that point, uh, Ben was planning to be Spider-Man. He was thinking of different costume designs. And one of them actually has a white spider on it, like the Spider-Man costume in the video game. And I was like, we did the white Spider-Man costume. 20 years ago. That's right there. It's great. Uh, and I think one of the things that people
1: forget and one of the, things, the reasons I like the spider armor so much is that Peter Parker has the proportionate strength of a spider. So he can lift and push and do things with his strength. But... It doesn't pertain to the weight on his body. So when people design costume, when they put all these accoutrements and especially the armor on him, that stuff weighs a lot. <laughs> and he's swinging around and pulling himself yeah. by his arms by webs with all that extra weight on him. And it was like, wait, how does
0: he get? around again? <laughs> yeah, that's got to be tough. Yeah. Um, of course, there was Ricochet, the Hornet, Dusk, and Prodigy. Oh yeah, the Stingers. The Stingers. Uh, that by the end of that's right near the end of the decade, uh, and. Uh, it's not Peter, but Spider Man 2099. Yeah. You know?
1: Um, that costume is amazing, oh, too. And you have know, featured in, Into the Spider Verse at the end in mm-hmm. a little post credit sequence. Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe soon to make an appearance back in modern continuity Ooh. sometime in
0: 2019. It I like the, that tease. It is the 80th anniversary and all, so you never know. That's good, Steve. Uh All right, we're going to wrap up here talking about the books that came out in the specific months January 1980. The NOM, ALF, Alpha Flight, Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, Avengers Spotlight, Avengers West Coast, Captain America, Classic X-Men, and Conan Saga. I include those in the regular list because especially Classic had new stories. Mm -hmm. And, man, those are some really good stories. Great artists like John Bolton and...
1: Yeah, and the new covers that they put the on new some covers collections.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Claremont writing and uh, adding in some details. We just did a deep dive on Jean Gray as the Phoenix, and there's some really great classic X Men stories that fill in really key things in that run, which is wild. Oh, now I got
1: to go back and read
0: those. Oh, dude, there's like when Jean is uh, having her like Greece vacation is mentioned in one issue of uh, Uncanny, but we, he digs into it and shows how she was being manipulated by Mastermind during that run and shows that or, like, the moment when the Phoenix Force actually comes to her and and talks to her about death and all that stuff. It all happens in Classic.
1: Oh, wow. I got to go back.
0: Um, Let's see. Conan the Barbarian, Count Ducula, Damage Control, Daredevil, Destroyer, Doctor Strange, Excalibur, Fantastic Four, G.I. Joe, Heathcliff, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Mark Specter, Moon Knight, Marvel Age, Marvel Comics Presents, Marvel, 1989, The Year in Review. Thor, New Mutants 87, came out January 1990. It's the first appearance of Cable. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Enthman, Man, The Ultimate Ninja. Power Pack, Punisher, Punisher Magazine, Punisher War Journal. Quasar, which is a book I, I've been meaning to go back to. I like. I think that's a book I would love now yeah, as I get older. Yeah,
1: no, it was such a great book.
0: Robocop, number one, came out that month. Savage Sword of Conan, Sensational She Hulk, Sergio Aragonis' Grew the Wanderer, Silver Surfer number 35, another prelude to Infinity Gauntlet, which is great. Spectacular Spider Man, Strike Force Moratori, Electric Undertow, Strip, which was a Marvel UK comics magazine that included comics uh, like Punisher Comics, Dominic Fortune, uh, Martial Law. These were all new stories in the UK. Uh, Martial Law, which is wild because we don't even own Martial Law, and uh, Death's Head. Uh, had had some Death Head stuff in there with articles and other stuff. I I want to check out that. That seems like it'd be cool. Uh, Transformers, Uncanny X Men, War, which was a prestige format book. Web of Spider Man, What If Wolverine and X Factor number fifty one. Then uh, on the Epic side, we had another issue of Akira. But this was neat. We had we uh, released Blueberry, the f- Blueberry Volume Four, the Ghost Tribe with graphic novel, uh, which is cool. Just you know, having the Road, and, yeah. And then December 1999, we have Amazing Spider-Man, Ant-Man's Big Christmas, Avengers, Avengers Forever number 12, which I love that series.
1: Curtin Carlos.
0: Avengers Casebook 1999, Avengers United They Stand, Bishop The Last X-Man, Black Panther, Blade Vampire Hunter, Blaze of Glory, which was a Western. Cable, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Deadpool, Deathlock, Domination Factor, Avengers Domination Factor, Fantastic Four. We had Fantastic Five as well as Fantastic Four released that month, Galactus the Devourer, Gambit, Generation X, Gunslinger, so another Western book Mm -hmm. that month, Hulk, New Eternals, Apocalypse Now, which had Joe Bennett on art. Again, he keeps popping up. Uh, New Warriors, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Girl, Spider-Man Unlimited, Spider-Woman, Thor, Thunderbolts, Uncanny X-Men, Wild Thing. X-51, X-Force, X-Men, X-Men, X-Men The Hidden Years, X-Men Universe, X-Men Hellfire Club, X-Men Yearbook, and Spider-Man Year in Review. That's a lot of X-Men right there. A lot of X-Men. Yeah. Uh, so that's how the, the decade looked at the beginning at the end. Our next TWIM URC is going to be about the aughts, uh, I my gut says we just do ultimate stuff, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll figure it out. That'll either be in July or we may push it to August, depending on our schedules and the, and the wildness, because...
1: You got a lot of travel. I got some travel. It's yeah. con season's kicking up, so... Yeah. You know, we, just like they used to take assistant editor a month back in the day <laughs> when there was con season, we'll just maybe figure out what we're going to put in our podcast.
0: Exactly, literally. exactly. Uh, but again, if you have any suggestions or requests, tweet us to at Agent M and at CB Cebulski using the hashtag TwimURC. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we recorded this early, so you don't have a ton of your comments yet, but we, I, I saw two in here. Dan Garfinkel says The ending of Spectacular Spider Man number 200 broke my heart as a kid. Dematis wrote some great Spidey, and Busema's run on that title was excellent. Couldn't agree more. And then Lawrence Brenner says, 90s Spider-Man was the cinematic generation's first introduction to the character and a lot of the Marvel multiverse. It's a great story and a wonderful finale. Yep, um, both so. comments
1: true, and both comments were kind of touched on. So. Yeah.
0: Yep. So there you go. That's uh, the 90s. I was, you know, looking at all the artists who worked on stuff. Wow. Yeah, there's a ton of them. You know, Diodato had an issue. In Jay here. Lee, I saw in there. Yeah, Jay Lee. Uh, Klaus Jansen had some. Bart Sears had a couple. Ron Garney, Dan Panosian, Pat O'Leaf, you know, just Aaron Lapresti Tons of artists. Yeah,
1: Names is still, you know, doing great work across the industry today.
0: Yeah, Liam Sharp, yeah. Uh, which is, he's, mm. he's doing really great work right now. Yeah, uh, yeah that's it. CB
1: thanks again. No, thanks for setting all this up. And again, this is always a pleasure to look back and I wasn't as familiar with some of the Spider-Man stuff in my memory as I was with the X-Men stuff for previous month, but this was a wonderful walk down, you know, the webbed memory lane. Yes. I'm Ryan and I'm CB
0: and this is Marvel.
1: Your universe.